Oh, shit. Oh. <laughs> That's a great there they are. Hey. Okay. And make it look like it does. Like I'm not here. Pass. Like he's yeah. not here, and then cut it to this three ways thing. It's just yeah. like the literary world. We just have like Clint's not here. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we do this? Let's get started. Yep. I'm excited. I didn't write you a roasty bio today. Oh, well, that's how the tables have turned, Kate. I, I felt bad <laughs> the last time. <laughs> I only have, mine's not even really roasty. I was just gonna, so I guess we could get started. Uh, welcome to Table for Deuce, uh, episode five. Uh, with me, as always, is Kate Hansen Foster, who can be described as uh, Sonnet in the Streets and Free Verse in the Sheets. <laughs> and welcome, Kate Hansen Foster. Oh, boy. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, okay. Thank you. And I'm yeah. with my pal, Woo. my friend, uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> just Mark Schmitzer. Like, why why did you blank on my name how dare you Where after okay hints for your name i can't figure out how to say your name i'm here with michael schultzer uh author of empire of surrender award-winning author uh and uh, uh blood song is another one of his books and since I didn't write anything down, I don't have anything else to say. And so therefore, that is all I have to say about you at this time. <laughs> I, have, I have something I want to talk about. Yeah. I'm really, really excited for tonight. I actually almost made popcorn right. for the podcast because of, because I, I you know how um, I like to fall down internet holes and- yes, That's your uh, thing, yep. So- <laughs> In my non-prep for this show, I fell down another QAnon hole today because Trump is going to make oh his big announcement. <laughs> I'm so excited. Yeah. I wrote down, oh, where are my notes? I wrote down <laughs> some things that they were saying because the QAnon people are still yeah. at it. Um, yeah. okay, so nothing could stop. JFK, JFK Jr. is for real, for real going to come yeah, back so this time. Everyone thinks like that the, the announcement is, is just too grand. So it can't just be that he's running again. So it must mm -hmm. be that JFK Jr. is his running mate. Storm, <laughs> the storm is coming. Oh my gosh. Which I don't know if there is a winter weather advisory in my area overnight. So I oh. don't know what they mean by the storm, but the storm is coming. Yeah. Buckle up. <laughs> yeah, buckle, buckle up. Drain and, the uh, swamp. Oh, 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 and the um, the military is going to come out with him, and announce that 2020 the election was a fraud, and that he has been the rightful president. Yeah, full time. That so, that seems no. really likely. <laughs> we have such a great episode today. I'm so excited to get started with this episode. Not only do we have our very first guest of the show we also have some feedback from an anonymous listener feedback oh you didn't tell me this i, I didn't our, know. our fan obviously a fan of the show has been paying attention 
Uh, but they have some things to say about that Chen Chen poem, which oh. I would I would love to read. The Morling poem is way the hell better than Chen Chen writing about shit and acting like it's somehow worthy of my time. His audacity to incite in the poems, those that who are grossed out are his enemies is both an act in othering those who feel differently and arrogance. It's poem insurance, a ridiculous sleight of hand, uh, slight, I believe misspelled there, but that's fine. Sleight of hand and an elementary form of bravery. There's nothing brave about talking about your shit. Adam Sandler already did it in the 90s. On top of that, the poem is not steeped in music play and flat lines often into the textureless prose. If I wanna hear about shit, which I don't, I'll ask a doctor who specializes in it. Since Chen did nothing to procure my adoration, nor my ongoing attention. <laughs> lengthy feedback. I guess that is lengthy feedback on a poem and strangely angry. angry. <laughs> I don't understand. It, it kind of um, reminds me of when we were talking about um, whether or not the poet's identity is necessary in order mm -hmm. to um, interpret the poem adequately. Like we mentioned, there was that um, that uh, student who was Asian and, and, and that mm -hmm. poem kind of invoked uh, her feelings about her own body and her own like Asian-ness and things like that. And so this, this is kind of um, similar where um, this feels like more like a critique against the poet than the poem itself because yeah there yeah there are things I don't understand I don't quite get the arrogance from this nothing feels less arrogant than a poem saying that you shit your pants or you shit the bed that that seems the least arrogant thing I could possibly think of for a poem I, is this is this commenter um a white supremacist because the only <laughs> The only critique or like the thing that, you know, in terms of othering um, that I felt was happening in that poem was, um, you know, the right wing media and the white supremacy uh, kind of drivel on television. Yeah, um, I don't know. I, I, I'm getting bouquets. I'm getting notes of a grieved white man. <laughs> you know, there's, a, <laughs> there's little hints of jealousy. Like, I don't know what's going on. It just seems strangely personal. Um, Very we talked a lot about the music of the poem, so I, I kind of don't get the uh, lines going out into textureless prose. Like, I don't, I don't quite get the, I don't get the critique. Um, There's uh, something that we, we also talked about, you know, that the, um, the idea of true love being something really ugly um, in, in a lot of ways and, and mm -hmm. sometimes grotesque too, um, which I think is why the poop is such a heavy, gross image to come like <laughs> slap you in the face or at the beginning. But I didn't see that more as yeah. like attack. Like I'm, I'm specifically writing this poem to attack my enemies by like slinging poop at them, <laughs> you know? Like, yeah, exactly. And it's like, the way they phrase it, Chen Chen writing about shit. I mean, it's it's like subject versus theme here. It's like, yeah, they're shitting it and it is about shit, but it's also about so much more than that. So I'm not sure uh, what is going on, to be honest. But uh, but uh, let's, uh, I think now is a great time to yeah. bring in 
our first guest to see. I know they've listened to the first episode. I know they uh, read that Chen Chen poem. Mm -hmm. So uh, our first guest is the author of the newly released book of poems, Visitor, uh, and the novel Lying Bastard, as well as two other books of poems. Uh, please welcome the, the highly esteemed Clint Margrave to the show. Hi, Clint. Hooray. Hi, wow, Clint. I feel like I've hit the big time. Welcome <laughs> to the show. Well, thanks for having me. So, Clint, you've read the poem. You heard the critique. I don't know, thoughts. Like, you're, you're a, you tend to be more towards a, uh, I would say, like a narrative writer. Your poetry is very narrative. It's steeped kind of in stories and these observations. Um, I wouldn't say you're a lyric poet, per se, but there are definitely moments of lyricism in your poems. Um, what do you think? I mean, do you notice musicality in the Chen poem? Do, what do you think about the critique? I have a problem with critiquing even the fact that it's if, if it is about shit. Um, so what? You know, mm -hmm. shit is part of life. Um, these are <laughs> things of life, right? Poems are not meant to just be about the moon and butterflies. And um, so I, I think it's a it's a fair uh, topic if that is a topic. Um, and of course, as you said, it's a it's a love poem. Uh, what you know, it's a love poem that involves shit. I mean, you can't get, you know, Kate already mentioned the the grotesque element of that, and I think that's what makes it kind of beautiful. There is a there is definitely uh, a very sly craft at work here that is holding the reader's attention. I think, and and mm -hmm. then moving from each line to the next. Uh, in, in a very careful way and it keeps you until the very end and then you get to this really sweet moment um yeah, it's a really beautiful end that poem it is a beautiful shit sandwich basically yeah, where you have the two ends that somehow become this beautiful thing oh and I, I was talking to Lydia Lydia has been watching the show and she has a theory on platonic tube oh so she that, was... I, did, I did take issue with that I agree <laughs> it's a weird line she she likes the parallel between platonic tube and then immediately going into like my partner and I are not platonic. So she sees the parallel, like kind of the parallels between those two things and what leaves the body, which is so strangely intimate, but also like has that kind of withdrawing thing, like we're getting rid of stuff. So there's this thing that is like deep inside of us that is platonic, but is also like Clint had mentioned kind of a daily part of everybody's life. And well, hopefully daily if you're regular, but and you have this completely separate human being that can have this intimacy that even though they are separate, that there is that non-platonic, that connection. So I, was, I thought that was an interesting thing she thought of. So obviously we should have her on the show. She's smarter than all of us, I think. Yeah. And we should also but, mention too, that not, I don't want to discourage uh, feedback, just, it, you know, even if we're pushing back on our feedback, because I love that someone had thoughts on it and that shared it, shared it with us. Yeah. And especially strong thoughts. I mean, that's uh, what we're all about. Like, I, I love that reaction. And I, I encourage more of the back and forth. I, I, I do think I would love it if they weren't anonymous. Uh, I, but also I, I get it. I get it. People feel more comfortable you know, behind a mask saying their truths than in front of people. It, it can be a little vulnerable. And I think me and Kate go through that at times. And uh, Clint, I don't know if you've ever said anything vulnerable in public like that. So yeah, you're... Yeah. 
Um, I do want to thank uh, the listener for actually listening and giving us some feedback. I, I am sad that you didn't like that poem because I love that poem. I thought it was great, but maybe one day you can recommend a poem and we'll check it out and see what yeah. you're into if you're not into if you're not into shit poems. So <laughs> yeah, and I think the uh, poetry prose debate. I find that can be a little just disingenuous and I mean I, I personally think the best prose is is musical anyway mm -hmm. so um I don't really like that divide very much probably because I'm not that kind of writer anyway but um and probably because I write across genres you know so I write poems mm -hmm. and I write stories and all that so no I would I would love to hear some poems from the new book so I think that would be a great way to transition I don't have it. I don't think I have any with shit in them. But, uh, maybe some uh, shit. Uh, but anyway, let's. Uh, <laughs> I have one with God. So we, we can start with that. I don't know if that's going to be acceptable. But um, so this first poem is called uh, Once I Shared a Wall with God, dedicated to my old neighbors who were loud and uh, inspired this. Uh, Once I Shared a Wall with God. I could hear him vacuuming late at night. Who does that? He was constantly rearranging furniture, opening and closing drawers, sliding hangers in the closet, banging things around. I never really heard his voice because he lived alone. Occasionally, just the deep rumble of him clearing his throat. It's not his fault, I told myself. The walls are thin. These floors crack at every step. The rooms are echo chambers. I can adjust. In the morning, it was silent. God liked sleeping in. But at night, I cursed the world until I finally had to confront him. I thought about leaving a letter to spare us both the awkward conversation, but I wanted to make sure he understood. I'll be nice, I said as I rang his bell, but if it keeps on happening, I'll have to tell the landlord. Nervous as I was, I wanted God to know he'd been a bad neighbor, that he had little regard for others, that this universe was something we both shared. I'm sorry, I wanted to hear him say. I'm so sorry, but nobody answered the door. It is great. So uh, I finished your book this morning. I uh, read through it and, I, and I've told you this before too. You are a king of endings you are so good at ending a poem and I, I think visually sometimes the way I picture your poems working is like in an hourglass shape where you have this kind of funneling down toward this great ending and then where it expands back into the bottom half is like what it leaves us with like your poems ending always kind of expand in my brain mm -hmm. in a way that not every poem can and I think you are so good at leaving this very kind of understated ending the end is just like oh it does it just brings it's 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 minimal and it, it's <laughs> in language but brings up so much in the larger picture and i and we've said this before because we we fan over clint all the time <laughs> that, that like that that last lines always make us kind of return back to the top and and go again and that's like, you know the best poems do and and never i knew i came on the show for yeah. a reason <laughs> yeah, and the endings too they never feel forced that's the thing they they managed to surprise me and I look back and I'm like how did I not see that coming 
I feels like I, it feels so organic. And I feel like I should, it was leading me there this whole time. I should have been able to predict this, but I never can. So I just, I love that quality about your work is that it, it's not ornamental. There isn't anything in there that is making me look at you, the author. It's just, I'm completely in the poem. Would you like to uh, read another for us? Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll read this one. Um... This is called On the Banks of the Danube. And uh, the title kind of runs into the first line, so I'll, re I'll reread that. On the banks of the Danube, they found the young mother's body. And all I could think about were the fields of sunflowers that went on for miles when I traveled through Bulgaria last summer. The red roofs of village houses, the shopkeepers that sat smoking together on busy streets and perfectly timed cigarette breaks. The devoted young friends I made staging art exhibits in the center of cities. The father who kept kissing the cheek of his disabled daughter each time he wiped the drool from her mouth. The boy ringing the bell on his bicycle. The parents who carried their paraplegic son onto a raft in the Black Sea so he could swim with his brothers and sisters. The melon ice cream in the park on Saturday. The little girl running across grass in bright pink pants shouting, Mamo, Mamo. Once again, the beginning to that ending where I think you're going to go one way. I think it's going to be so dark because you just begin with that image of the young mother's body and then it goes elsewhere completely in a way that is, it, this is, I would say, the most hopeful poem that has begun with a body I think I've ever read <laughs> let's put it that way like it's very it's very uh something is so genuinely like appreciative just to be alive just to be looking at these things and observing these people in a yeah. way that is just it makes you kind of stop and I just, like I said, uh, once again, it gets to the ending where it kind of opens me up in a way that I was not expecting. When we were talking about uh, poetry and observation uh, a couple of weeks ago, I think, mm -hmm. um, this this reminds me so much of that. It's very pictorial, I guess, in the way, like in the way that it just sort of captures like little snapshots of images and, uh, and again, it's, you know, I don't want to keep going back to modernism and this, you know, no ideas, but in things, but by, you know, giving the reader uh, these images, it, it opens up larger conversations that happen as a result of what you're being presented in the poem. This is like, I mean, do you feel like you're influenced by modernism? All yeah. yeah, I would say so for sure. Yeah. But, I mean, Maybe not as directly, you know, it's not like I read everything by William Carlos Williams all the time or anything like that, but I think indirectly I'm definitely influenced by that um, and the simplicity of the language sometimes and, and the focus on image. And I have a question uh, about the book as a whole. So mm -hmm. I was looking at the table of contents and it's just, it's just literally alphabetical order. <laughs> like, uh, do you, do you think of ordering a manuscript or are you just like, nope, sort? Uh, oh, I didn't notice that. <laughs> That's really I actually love that. Yeah, this is the first time I've done it, but um, I know I don't read poetry books from beginning to end. 
Uh, I skim, I, you know, I jump through them and, um, I, I, you know, we, we, we're in this time now where every book is themed or every book, you know, uh, has, you know, is really a, a focus on the book, I think, because of contests and things like that. And, um, it's mm -hmm. easy for publishers to sort of look for that. But, um, for me, I've always been old school in that way. I just like books that are just collections of, of individual poems. And I think of them that way. This, this actually happened on accident. Um, I did try to do some order for my last two books. Um, but this time uh, I was sending them to somebody actually to uh, sort of look over and, and hopefully I was, I was hoping they might just organize it um, for me. So I wouldn't have to do anything. Uh, and I was, I was loading up files just alphabetically the poems that were gonna go into it. And uh, this person mistakenly thought, you know, that was the order. And then I, and then I read and I thought, why not? You know, and, and, and yeah. So I did that and I actually did try to change the order numerous times. And for some reason, the alphabetical order just worked, still kept working for me. You know, I find it boring if a book's organized too thematically, you know, these are all the poems about death. These are all the poems about love. Or, you know, I, I find that there's an interesting uh, thing that can happen when it's a little more random like that. I just, I don't write that way. I don't write poems. Mm -hmm thinking, okay, this is my next book's going to be centered around this, you know, and so all the poems, I just write individual poems. And uh, after five years or so, I go, oh, I have, you know, I have a bunch of poems. All right, let's do a book. Let's try to make a book. I, I agree with you, Clint. I mean, I really like books that that kind of are just a collection of poems. There are so many thematic books and I even like made it a, a personal goal of my own to if I write another book of poems that I won't be so hung up on that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think there's, there is a difference. Like some books are purposely thematic. Other books, of course, you know, whenever you have a title, even this book, you know, I thought, okay, Visitor, right? A lot of mm -hmm. different things could fall under that category, you know, but yeah, I mean, certainly a, a title can be, be some kind of umbrella for, for, for many themes, you know, whether they're, they're operating on a metaphoric level or not. You know, I tried it before yeah. I tried to write, uh, I did a whole manuscript about poems about my father and um, his death and all that. And I'm glad I, I'm glad I ended I ended up at some point just saying screw that and taking the best poems from that and just mm -hmm. putting them into other collections. I think it's better because I think if I had done that, it just after a while, it's just too much of, of the same thing over and over. So I, I remember once Marvin Bell saying like someone had asked about ordering book or ordering a book of poems and he's like you just throw up all the pages in the air grab them off the floor and there you have a manuscript and he's like someone will find connecting threads and I mean you can't escape your own brain you are going to kind of obsess over certain things and create these connections subconsciously or whatnot like like you said I mean I I can find definite threads if I want to in this book as well so it's not like even with the alphabetical ordering that wasn't necessarily a conscious ordering per se, still has a kind of story throughout. And what I'm, oh, just, oh, I, have, I have to say this because I'm so excited about it. Uh, when I was reading uh, Running into Zadie Smith at Albertsons, and I was like, oh, that reminds me of the Ginsburg poem where he meets Whitman, I think, in the grocery oh, store. So, oh, yeah. And then two, two poems later, you have the supermarket in California after Allen Ginsburg. And I'm like, that's perfect. I didn't notice the whole um, the alphabetical thing. But now, like, I love that now I know that because everything about this book from 
from the front to the back, the back, which we talked mm-hmm. about last week, um, is so <laughs> bare bones. And, and it's kind of, you know, so it, having it be kind of orderless, uh, you know, and, and no blurbs and all that, I think is, makes it holistically just kind of really work, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think more and more, I think I just like the focus to be on the poems and uh, Mm -hmm. not the hype, not any marketing, not, you know, and and as far as the blurbs go, I just, I don't know, why do we put blurbs on our actual book? You know, it's like, I think some, you know, we've talked about before, maybe that so many blurbs are so full of shit, right? But but also, like, why do we stick them on the actual book, you know, the object itself, you know, and, and you don't see that on records, right? You don't, you know, you don't see blurbs on the back of an album, you know, they, the album is its own sort of work of art. I did it on my last poetry book, too. Uh, no blur. Mm-hmm. And plus, you know, it's just, like, you know, we've said a lot of times they're just fake, you know, or even if they're not fake, they're just, I don't know. I mean, uh, I haven't been influenced to buy a book from a blurb ever. I will always flip through the book, and if the poetry captures me, then I will buy it. If exactly. it doesn't, I won't, no matter what someone says on the back. Because yeah. the people who would probably give you a more genuine one, they're probably not the famous people, or the, you know, yeah, that you know, they would probably write the better blurb, but uh, you know, they're mm-hmm. not the name, so uh, yeah. people just want the name on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I've written them. You know, as you guys have, I'm sure, and and I think mm-hmm. we talked about this before that it often becomes about the person writing the blurb. You know, it's like becomes your own challenge to write. I want a multiple choice. I will write a blurb, and then you will have five options and try to figure out which book I'm talking about. I bet okay. you the answers will be all over. I bet you won't be able to tell what book I'm talking about. Right. I I think we've done some great discussions on Clint's work. I think we've roasted blurbs in general and i think speaking of roasting i am ready to or maybe toasting i am ready to talk about simply lit by melina morling so clint if if you would do us the honors this was your poem you nominated for us all right simply lit often toward evening after another day after another year of days in the half dark on the way home I stop at the food store and waiting in line, I begin to wonder about people. I wonder if they also wonder about how strange it is that we are here on the earth and how in order to live, we all must sleep and how we have beds for this unless we are without and entire rooms where we go at the end of the day to collapse. And I think how even the most lively people are desolate when they are alone because they too must sleep and sooner or later die. We are always looking to acquire more food for more great meals. We have to have great meals. Isn't it enough to be a person buying a carton of milk, a simple package of butter and a loaf of whole wheat bread? Isn't it enough to stand here while the sweet middle-aged cashier rings up the purchases? I look outside, but I can't see much out there because now it is dark, except for a single vermilion neon sign floating above the gas station, like a miniature temple simply lit against the night. The poem that you actually just read, the uh, 
on the banks of the Danube actually reminded me of this poem as well, just this kind of listing of observations and ideas. I, I would say your poem is even more bare bones than this one, but I, I get like, a, I feel like it's pulled kind of from the same muse or inspiration in a way. Um, Interesting, because I'd never read this until uh, long after that. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure you didn't, but it's like, like I said, it feels like they're both pulling from the same kind of impulse. There's that simplicity of kind of writing style, if you will. There's nothing ornamental, even though the details that um, Morling chooses are ones that really do evoke like emotion and feeling for me. One reason this poem I was drawn to, you know, kind of what you said, I think we're always drawn to uh, poems that we would want to write or, you know, we read and we write the way we want, you know, we write as readers. So I think I write poems maybe in, in a way that um, like, like a poem I'd want to read. And uh, so when I read this, I think for the first time, no doubt, uh, that's probably why it struck me so much. You know, it felt like something I would aspire to. The simplicity of the language uh, is something I always, you know, I, I tend to be a fairly plain spoken kind of writer. Um, the clarity of the images and the, just the clarity of the voice and the, and the calmness of the voice. Um, and the way that it can talk about something profound in a simple way, which I always think is the most important element of a good writer. This is the opposite of academia, right? Academia does mm -hmm. the opposite. It, it, <laughs> it, 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 it talks about simple things in this like uh, highfalutin, uh, you know, totally complex way, but uh, you know, without really getting across. So I'm always impressed by mm -hmm. writers that can can do that, can can just through very simple language um, say something meaningful. And she retains mystery too. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, people might criticize like simple language sometimes. I, I feel like that's, that's an amateur move when they do, but there's different types of simplicity, right? There's, you know, there's a simplicity of like a, a young student's work, you know, that's mm -hmm. a whole nother level than um, something like this, which is just so, so uh, meaningful and profound and done through just a uh, very simple language. And uh, so this just appealed to me and, and, and I love the end. I just think it's, it's just a strong end. I got a little hung up a, a little bit, you know, often towards evening mm -hmm. after another day after another day of days of another one and then waiting mm -hmm. in line and it just kind of rambles a little. Um, so I felt like the beginning was a little rambly, but then as I got more into it, um, like I, I got what, what the poet was trying to do in terms of just sort of relaying what, like it, just the monotony of of human life. I don't know. Didn't like T. S. Eliot say something like that? You know, poems should have should abandon monotony, and that they should have uh, that that a good poem has the like right amount of tension between repetition and and you know so, uh, an element of of difference and surprise, and and I think that's what this poem does so well because you know first I, I got really caught up with the the accumulation of time you know the accumulation of groceries um <laughs> you know all that kind of stuff but uh you know all all things and like to me this poem was about 
mortality uh, mm-hmm. and about death. And, and so when you get to that final image of the, the neon sign lit like a temple against the sky, it's, um, you know, when we think of the sky, we think of death, you know, that's kind of like a universal thing. I think that the size, the sky kind of symbolizes death in a lot of ways. Um, and just like, you know, when we die, like all poems must also end. Like there is no, you know, nature can go on, right? Like nature is repetitive. Um, we have seasons, we have time, you know, it's the human mind that, that creates around that monotony. Yeah. I mean, that, that for yep. me, that's exactly how I see it too. Is it's about death, you know, and, and, um, and is it, is it enough just to be a person buying a carton of milk? You know, we, ha- we have all these desires, all these grandiose mm-hmm. things, you know, why isn't it, isn't, why can't it just be enough? Um, anyway, go ahead, Michael. Sorry. Yeah. I was, no, no problem. Like I, I, I agree with Kate a little bit at the beginning. Like I, there is that kind of often toward evening after another day, there is that kind of repetition and I wasn't exactly sure where it was going. Um, but by the end, I, I was pretty, I was pretty sold on this poem. And I, I really like this, the image at the end, that miniature temple, and it's that neon sign. And it's like, you have these things that feel very holy, but there is no mention of God. There is no mention of afterlife. There's this kind of almost like kind of atheistic spirituality to this poem that I really enjoy. It's like, like you had brought up, isn't it enough to be a person buying a carton of milk, like this life and our experiences that can be enough in a way. And the one line that I think is my favorite is the line about, and how in order to live, we all must sleep and how we have beds for this unless we are without and entire rooms where we go at the end of the day to collapse. It's just making something that we do every day into something strange. Like I've never thought about it that way, but having this room where we go to collapse, it it is a bizarre thing when you start thinking about it too much. And I, I love that this poem can make these everyday things seem more grand and more strange than I've ever given them credit for. I think that choice to say entire rooms, that that just makes me think like, you know, it's not just a room. We all know, like (laughs) you think of that, it makes you think like, wow, it is like an entire room just to sleep. You know, like we, we devote, (laughs) I just think that choice of entire, you know, who says entire. I think it's, it goes uh, again to this idea that, you know, sleep and food, like these are, these are just survival things, like on mm-hmm. at, the, at their most basic level, we need sleep to survive. We need food to survive. It's a human instinct to create the bedroom for, you know, we build around these natural things that are existing that just, you know, it's just life. And we need to have the the big, you know, the bedrooms with the bed in it and the whole sleep ritual. We need to make our food beautiful. You know, having this idea, like she says it uh, many times that, you know, we're, we have to make our food beautiful. Like it's, it's creating that change up in the human existence that I think is just, you know, something that we don't think about very often because it's so bizarre, but it is, it is really a human thing as opposed to, you know, leaves falling off the tree. These things that we can rely on that are just going to happen around us. It's what we do as humans to make bigger and more beautiful, these monotonous routines that are just a part of life. Absolutely. And I, and I like, as Michael brought up, you know, the, 
the, or both of you brought up the miniature temple and the gas station, the neon line, she's using the modern world in this spiritual mm -hmm. way. Um, and how, you know, we're always sort of there. The grocery store becomes this sort of uh, spiritual place. That reminds me a little of, um, now I think about Don DeLillo's White Noise. I don't know if you guys have ever read that novel. Um, he kind of does something like that. How like consumerism, all, you know, all of this stuff almost becomes like um, this takes on this weird spiritual element. You know, on one hand, it's like critique of consumerism, but on another hand, it's also becomes like our way of expressing something. I think there's a bit of comfort like that we're comfortable and things that are predictable as well and um you know that neon sign you know i've for anyone who's lived in a city and, and has walked home late at night you know there is a a certain comfort in that uh in that that predictability of just knowing that it's going to be there you know maybe it's a metaphor of god maybe it's not i don't know but i think it is that we kind of seek that comfort you know even though we're you know we don't want life to be boring and tedious and routine we always we're always trying to switch it up but yet we also still really do rely on that predictability i mean we do it in our poems with meter and rhyme and you know even uh the um, you know, the line breaks or the spaces in the lines themselves, like there's something when we like approach our poems, that's like, so we're creating that, that predictability that we know is going to happen and we rely on it. But at the same time, you know, we want the surprise too. And I think it's, you know, she does such an awesome job with managing that tension between the predictability of monotony in life. And also the fact that we just you know, that we're trying to do whatever we can to add our own embellishments and comforts and that sort of thing. So I'm glad you brought up uh, like meter and rhyme in poetry. I'd like to talk a little bit about that because uh, our our anonymous listener has something to say about this poem, which I'd love to read. So there's a simple beauty about the Melina Marling poem I find admirable. It has a lovely looseness that allows the poet to discover each small turn as it's being written. It's incredibly human. My issue, though, is that a poem must sing, and this poem doesn't sing. It's prosaic without any, if at all, rhythmic or syncopated texture, no percussion, no syllabic play. The imagistic quality is lovely, but not original enough to carry its lack of music. So I'm wondering, what do you think about musicality in this poem? Is it necessary? Is it not? Like, when listening to Clint read the poem and having read the poem and things like that, I think there are a lot of things as far as like line breaks and things like that, that work really well for me. There is that rhythm for me where there's end stop lines versus, you know, in jammed lines and things like that. So I think there is a musicality at play and enough linguistic play that makes it interesting. And even this, even without some of the more uh, like technical or lyrical or whatever you want to call it, parts of this poem, I think it works as a poem. I don't think everything needs to be I don't think every poem needs to quote unquote sing in the way that I think the listener is thinking. I guess we would we need this anonymous listener to step forward and just clarify what they mean because <laughs> I, like, are they talking about uh, you know rhyme and that sort of thing or is it because to me it, like the message sings. Yeah, yeah. I don't I don't really follow what they're saying either as as far as that goes. Um, I see a lot, there's a lot of musicality in this. And 
you know, uh, not every poem needs to be a bunch of linguistic play either, right? Um, just like great yeah. songs, great songs move you and that's what matters, right? That's what sings as Kate says, right? Uh, uh, it's not, you know, sometimes you listen to um, some experimental music, but other times you just put on a song that's, you know, C to D and <laughs> you know, simple, a Beatles yep. song or something like that. And it can be just as powerful and moving, you know? And uh, so that sounds a little uh, just sort of over academic to me and not really uh, what what I like in poetry anyway. Well, yeah, right. yeah. the best Bob Dylan songs are really just like the chords C, D and G, I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, it seems like a bit of an archaic sort of argument, you know, um, like a textbook. It sounds like a textbook argument to me. I think sometimes there can be that confusion between what is complicated as musical or what is, you know, if something is complicated or a little bit more, I don't even know, just decorative, mm -hmm. it can be viewed as being academic and smart and interesting, which I don't necessarily think is the case. I think Clint, you had mentioned something about that kind of simplicity of this poem. And I, I think about, and how academia can overcomplicate simple things. And I think about like the like old school, Chinese paintings where you have these just brushstroke mountains and forests and they're very simple but they're beautiful and elegant and I think there's that kind of simple elegance in this poem that speaks volumes that can if someone else tried to write this in a different style could just overcomplicate it and just it, the message itself the whole beauty of the poem would be lost. It's kind of interesting to me, and I don't mean to keep like coming back to this idea of monotony, but um, mm -hmm. you know, if you if you think about it, like music, it, it relies on the same the same patterns as poetry or anything or any other kind of art where you know there's a little bit of a mathematical equation to it, and it's you know we rely on that routine that sort of monotonous thing we put that into our poems however whatever devices we're deciding to use um is you know it, uh, let me put it this way even if you turn on the radio right and you're driving there's a good chance you're going to listen to the same like one of the top 40 <laughs> songs like five times in your 20 minute car ride that because mm -hmm. people want to hear the same thing over and over again uh, you know if it if it sparks something in them it we love that routine we love to we want to revisit it again and again and i think that this poem whether or not it sings and it's on its face it's not necessary it's the larger message i think that's being projected out of of what it is like to be human in these sort of mechanical things of of just existing it's just you know i get more of that as a message out of the poem whether or not i think you know there's a lovely line in the middle that just is really beautiful to read kind of thing yeah i was thinking about that and how um you know sometimes and and, and rightfully so i uh, you know, you, oh, I, every time I read it, I get more out of it. You know, I got something different out of it or whatever, which is great, you know, and, and, and can be great on an academic level. Certainly academics mm -hmm. would love that because the more complicated <laughs> poem is, the more they can write about it. And, you know, but I was thinking that sometimes you just revisit a poem to experience it again, you know, just like a song, you know, like a song that you like, you don't necessarily listen to it to get something different out of it. You listen to it to re-experience what you got out of it in the first place. And I think sometimes poets or who, you know, we over-intellectualize some of this stuff, you know, when it's actually about the experience of, of the work itself. I, I will say having 
you know, thought about it for this discussion. Um, you know, I, I too started to get a little bothered by some of the early parts, thinking what other people might, uh, you know, instead of just experiencing it like I did, even when I was reading it, I was like, okay, I wonder, 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 you know, like, uh, but ultimately I think where this ends up is, you know, really, I find it just very moving. The phrase food store is yeah. great. For, it it always kind of trips me up, but I'm a, it's it kind does of a, it's too, just, yeah. it's a curious little phrase, a food yeah. store, which is, it's kind of, it's, it is that is very accurate i've just never heard anyone call it that but it's it's great though in a way because like i said there's that ability to make the familiar seem a little bit strange and whether that's uh just a phrase that they came up with or a phrase that they've heard or whatnot i don't really know but at the same time i do like i do like it because it kind of pulls me out a little bit and makes me look at things a little different just like what the author does with the bedrooms it's like and like you said clint entire rooms it makes it its own kind of like church or temple in a way where you have this like sh enshrined room where that is all you do. And it's true. I don't, you know, who spends time in the bedroom? I mean, other than to just go and collapse. And that's why my bedroom is like perpetually. Well, I mean, you know, <laughs> case like I'm in there for. I'm going there as soon as this ends. Um, I think it's more like the absurdity, right? Like it's just sort of commenting, like, we're, you know, by saying food store, like it's just like, you know, that some so much of our it's just so absurd. I think someone on Facebook made that comment about the poem as well. That it's like it's just kind of commenting on the like absurdity of just you know what it's like to just be alive. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just it's like when I was a kid, you know, and um, sometimes I would just be like, "What the hell am I doing? Well, who am I? What am I doing on this planet?" And like, you know, it just kind of draws attention. It zooms in on these small everyday life events you know and, and just what are we doing here on earth and and you know we're gonna die and we're you know in line at the food store and we sleep in these entire rooms uh why do we do this you know what is all this the absurdity of of all of existence in some way the line that's been brought up we are always looking to acquire more food for more great meals we have to have great meals like this strange like rat race that we can get caught up in and just this mm -hmm acquiring these things that really on the grand scheme of things like we're all gonna die like oh it really doesn't matter that i had this delicious roast duck or whatever the crap you know it's it's so strange and it really is i like i like that pulling out and then her the the list of items uh, the carton of milk package of butter loaf of whole wheat bread it's just the most bare basic grocery items that you know you could buy now or you could have bought a hundred years ago basically yeah, so it's, yeah. it's it's so great i love that that making everything just so simple into its like core essential elements is something that the poem does i feel like we really did a terrible job of building these dispense of where we all stand on this poem but we do have to come yeah. down on our whether we toast or roast Yes, we do. So, all right, Clint, do us the honors. We, we know. Starting off, starting off. where I am, so I toast. <laughs> this time. Kate. Oh, those first few lines—they're. <laughs> <laughs> 
they were tough to get through and i do feel like there was a comma that should have been put in there at one point at that beginning but um for the larger picture and the the greater themes and everything that we talked about i too must toast this poem michael's gonna throw it uh, in the and, yeah, and <laughs> no no shock for me here i think the poem in its simplicity i don't think it should be changed to add more quote unquote music i don't think it really needs any more syllabic play or any of that stuff i think there's something very simple and complicated at the same time i think it's beautiful the way it is i love that ending so i must i must toast as well on that like clint said i think you said it so well is that when i reread it i get the same thing i got the first time it doesn't need to open up into some whole rabbit hole that kate likes to go down it is what it is and there's something wonderful about that and i like what it does it's like revisiting an old friend or something it's just it is comforting and it is there and it is consistent and reliable and i really like the poem so yeah. cheers to simply lit by melina morling from the book Astoria out of University of Pittsburgh Press back in 2006. Yeah, I mean, accessible is a bad word sometimes for people and uh, yeah. I don't understand that. I mean, yeah, and this is definitely accessible for, for those who who don't read poetry, as you said. And, uh, yeah. Maybe and actually those... more people might like poetry if, you know. <laughs> if, if this was, because this isn't the type of, this isn't the type of poem people think of. If you're a non-reader and you're like, oh, I write poetry, they don't think a poem like this that they're going to understand upon first reading. Like yep. there isn't, like they're going to think it's something that they're just not quote unquote smart enough for or won't be able to relate to. And Oh, it's not true if you find these great poems like this. I, I like this poem. It's very complimentary to uh, the poems that Clint was reading from his new book. Just yeah. that that way of just kind of offering up a very simple, uh, you know, simple doesn't do a good, you know, it, it doesn't yeah. say simple. It, it's doing a disservice uh, to the to the larger um, ideas that sort of you know, come up out of the text itself. Well, I don't that, think simple is a bad word. I mean, I, you know, we, we, we use it that way sometimes, but I think, you know, to, to describe artists simple, well, I mean, the style of it is simple. Right? The language, the language. Yeah. There's, you know, there's no, you know, ornamental language. It's not the classic lyrical poems that we see so often. And, you know, Michael and I are very, uh, I think we both would admit that we kind of lean lyrical at yeah. when we mm -hmm. write. I think for both, both, well, all three different styles, uh, you know, mm -hmm. it is finding that balance to not tip too far. Like, you know, you can tip too plain spoken, too flat, too boring, you know. Yeah. It's always like trying to find that balance no matter what. Yeah. It, it's it feels like a jazz solo sometimes where it's like there there's enough recognizable notes in there that you're carrying that main theme from the song. And then sometimes you know when you cross the line when you're like this, I'm just I'm parodying myself. I don't make any sense anymore. Like you just have to cut entire chunks out because you're just like you just you fall into your own voice so hard that it becomes mockable.
Mm-hmm. And there are lots of times in the re- revision process where I'm like, I, a reader is not going to follow this. Like I've just gone off by myself. Like the audience has left and I'm sitting there like playing the trombone all by myself in the <laughs> studio, you know, it's like no one's, and there's that, like you said, you, you want to have that balance between what is lyrical and what is simple, but at the same time, it's, it's so, it is hard. I think that's the kind of thing that's, it's just so impossible to teach. You know, it's just something that, <laughs> like you just can't. Yeah. yeah. And as and as writers, you know, like you you practice and you read a lot and you revise and you your your chance of hitting that balance gets higher and higher, but you can't, like you said, you can't quite articulate what makes it work all the time, like you know, or else we'd be, you know, rich and famous. But no, we're sometimes a poem is done and it still doesn't hit that no we're not rich and famous (laughs) reminded me and we never so kate yeah uh, did you have a poem picked out for our next episode we're taking a little hiatus next week because of the holidays but yep 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 yep. um okay i i don't want i'm not gonna say too much because we're running out of time anyways um but i did pick a poem and i i don't have much uh reason I I don't know why I picked it maybe because it has the word monotony in it and I've said that about a thousand times in this um but it's Emily Fragos um and the poem's called Nemesis and you can find it on the Poetry Foundation website I'll put the the link in the notes um it was first published in Poetry Magazine in 2007 um it appears in her collection called Hostage which is a new selected uh collection so kind of going with that whole not thematic but it's just a a pile of poems uh sheep meadow press 2011 sounds good all right well if you have a differing opinion about simply lit uh feel free once again email us uh you can you can be anonymous if you'd like uh we would love it if you weren't so that you can maybe join the conversation uh so email us at tableforduce at gmail.com um like subscribe uh buy clint's book visitor out from new york quarterly press um it is a good book i finished it this morning uh five stars if you like simply lit you are gonna like clint's work um it is it is simple but not shallow it is has its moments of lyricism even though he might not think so but they're in there and it is a poem that or it is a book that you're going to be able to sit with and reread and enjoy on multiple levels. So, but yeah, if you comment uh, on the video, I would be happy to send a copy of Clint's book and Kate has a copy to send as well. So um, like, subscribe, comment, and let us know what you think and you can get Clint's book. So, all right. Thank you, everybody. Uh, Thank you very much, Clint, for being our first guest on the show. We had such a great time. Thanks for having me. Your biggest fan, right? That's right. Yeah. All right. Till next time, everybody. Next time. Bye. Bye.
storm. The storm is coming. Oh my god. 